0: How is your spiritual health? If you had to pick a number from 1 to 10, 1 is we need CPR. I mean, you're basically wondering who is God and what has he got to do with you anyway. 10, lockdown is magic and it's been amazing for your spiritual being. You spend the day singing praises to God, thanking him for the good things in your life, dwelling on his word, praying and being richly dependent on him. How's your spiritual health going? A survey out of the UK very recently asked a whole range of people, a couple of thousand of them, what effects lockdown has had on their spiritual well-being. And the results are concerning. Now, there have been some people who, by God's kindness, throughout the times of difficulty, have discovered God. We've got some among us, and it's absolutely wonderful. But for many, lockdown, the restrictions imposed upon us, particularly the isolation, has brought about with it a real spiritual decline. Nearly 10% of the people who responded to this survey said that they'd basically stopped praying regularly. 14% that they'd stopped reading their particular religious text. One in 20 hadn't prayed. This is one in 20 regular church goers hadn't prayed at all since the start of the pandemic. How is your spiritual health? For many of us, isolation is really spiritually difficult, whether you're a parent who's now having to juggle not just work and working from home and the challenges that that brings, but also the kids now having to manage their schooling and all the housework we had before, whether you're a single person who who is truly, deeply isolated, whether you're a grandparent who can no longer see family and connect with those Uh, The people and the things that bring you love and joy in your life, whoever you are, the circumstances we are in right now seem to have a particular drain upon our spiritual desire. God seems very distant. Whether it's a, a lack of routine, a lack of time, a lack of energy, a lack of motivation, perhaps for some of us a lack of discipline, a lack of desire, our spiritual health is not doing great. Now, as we come to the second half of Hebrews 10 today, I, I want to run through five steps to spiritual flourishing. Now, it sounds a little bit like a clickbait title, right? One of those lists you see on the internet with motivational posters, I mean, five steps to spiritual flourishing. I almost feel like I need to preach in an American accent. but But our passage takes us there, and it very helpfully points out to us four do's and one don't, four practices to be in the habit of And one thing to avoid at all costs. And now we need to remember that we come to this really very practical message because of last week. And in fact, all that we've seen so far in Hebrews, because of the confidence that we have to approach God. The confidence that Jesus has done it all. Now, if you missed last week, please go back, watch it, listen to it, engage with it somehow to be reminded of or taught perhaps the confidence that we have in Jesus because he has opened the way, because he now stands as our high priest before God, because of that, therefore we can act. Four things to do and one to avoid at all costs. He's the first thing to do. Have a look down at verse 22. The writer tells us, draw near to God. Since we have boldness to enter, since Jesus has opened the way, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. The way to God is open. And so he says, draw near, come close to God. That which we couldn't do previously, which Israel could never accomplish. The curtain always stood in the way. God was so close and yet infinitely distant. That's no longer true for us. Everything has been done. Jesus paid that one true perfect sacrifice. Jesus opened the curtain Jesus ascended into heaven to be our mediator. Nothing separates us, neither the curtain nor our sin. By faith, our hearts are cleansed, our bodies are cleansed, and we can come before God. We can draw near. And so let us do it. Have you ever crossed the Blue Mountains? We, we, My family has had reason to do it fairly regularly throughout most of my life. My my family of origin is from central western New South Wales and so that's the way you go. Edwina's uh, father in particular is from the upper Blue Mountains and so we, we, we've done lots of crossing of the Blue Mountains and it never even occurs to us to question it. Of course you can do it. The way is open. It's clear. It's easy. Of course you just go. But it wasn't always that way, was it? It wasn't until 1813 when someone finally managed to cross it. Before then, a whole bunch of people tried and failed. They kept trying to go through the valleys and always getting stuck. The way seemed like it should be there, but it never was. Until finally, 1813, someone decided to travel along the ridge line instead of the valleys and made it the whole way through. 1815, they finished the road and all of a sudden, the way's open. We don't even think about it anymore. Off we go. The way to God is now open. But isn't it an indictment upon us that even though access to God is now available, we need to be commanded to go. I wonder whether you have trouble drawing near to God. There's more to it than just prayer, but our prayer is so often a good indicator. How good is your prayer life? Are you having trouble praying? The the way is open. I'm sitting at home in my office and the kids just wander in and out. They want to tell me anything. I I built a tower out of wheat bix Eleanor wanted to tell me yesterday. I I have a potato that's dancing, Sophia wanted to tell me today. And they, they just wander in and talk to me. They draw near all the time. If we do that with God, I wonder what stops us. I must confess that for me personally, what often stops me is not that the way is closed, but my own own pride, my own sense that I can do it on my own and I don't need God. The way may be open, but uh, do I need to be near to him? Our independence, our sense of self-sufficiency, our wealth, Perhaps sometimes the lack of motivation or our busyness or our energy, lack of discipline, or maybe even we don't have faith. We don't trust that God can do what we would ask of Him, that He would want to do what we ask of Him. It's telling, isn't it, that in times of hardship, we go straight to prayer. In times when things get difficult for us, when we fail, When we are in need, then, oh then, God, please, would you help us? You know what, I found myself at one point this week thinking a very strange thought. I almost wanted to pray, oh God, make us suffer. (laughs) Not because we're masochists, not because we delight, not because we like suffering, but because then we see faith. Then we draw near to God had experience of it just recently, some friends in dire need and those around them gathered for 10 nights straight to pray, to draw near to God, to depend upon him. Now look, maybe right now your prayer life is kicking and it's firing and you feel close to God because of it. and And God bless you for that. And can I please ask you to pray for the rest of us for whom God feels distant. If God feels distant for you, if you're praying right now is not great, and I'm equating the two, but again, it's a good indicator, then what is it for you? What is it that gets in the way of you praying? What is it that's stopping you? What I want to do now is I want to give you a moment, right, right now, in, in the middle of the sermon, to pray. I'm going to stop and just let a minute pass by, And what I want you to do is to pray a short prayer to ask God to come near to you, to ask God to show you how you can draw near to him. Why don't you pray that now? Because of the confidence we have in Jesus, we're told, because of what he has done, let us draw near to God. Secondly, let us hold onto the confession of our hope without wavering. We read in verse 23. Let us hold tight to the hope that we have. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. What's the second step to spiritual flourishing? It's to hold on to the hope that we have, that glorious, marvellous, wonderful hope that is grounded in the God who keeps his promises. You know, there's so many different things that we hope for at the moment. So often our hopes come out of our fears. What is it that we're afraid of shows us what it is that we hope for. It feels like there's lots of reasons to be afraid. The world is a scary place right now. I mean, sure, there's the COVID thing. As, as I'm filming this, uh, we've just had, we, we've cracked the 600 mark today for the first time of cases around us. And there's the scramble for vaccines. And the, there's, there's the questions about the safety of vaccines that people are asking. There's so many things that are going on around us in the immediate sense. And then there's everything else in life, right? The IPCC report into climate change recently. There's what's happening in Afghanistan and perhaps the resurgence of global terrorism. There's the the difficulty and, and the real fear related to loneliness in lockdown and so many things to be afraid of that we might hold hopes out for. But we have a greater hope that is greater than any of those fears and greater than anything we might fear at all. How are you going to flourish spiritually? You need to make sure that in the face of whatever is happening in your life, you hold on to the hope you have in Jesus Christ without wavering. Arrow straight. Whatever comes your way, fix your eyes on Jesus. You need to learn to preach it to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself but oh, so many COVID cases around me. What if I catch it? It's okay, David. Jesus died for you. Jesus will take you to heaven to be with him. Oh, what about global terror and and the, the outcome for the poorest and the weakest and the most vulnerable? It's okay, David. This world belongs to God. His king sits on the throne. Evildoers will be called to account. And God's people will be redeemed. Don't be distracted. Certainly not by the fears that you might have. Don't be distracted by wealth or or, or the self-indulgence or any of those things either. But hold fast to the hope that we have. Because he who promised is faithful. You you, you could do worse than remind yourself of God's promises. (laughs) I, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If I go, I go to prepare a place for you and if I go, I will come back and take you there to be with me. Remember the promise of our God who said, I am making everything new. In a new creation where death and grief and crying and pain will be no more. But God's people gathered around the throne and around the lamb. In the In the city where the tree of life sits where God dwells with his people. We have a hope that is unbeatable. There is nothing in this world, neither height nor depth, nor life nor death, nor pain, nor grief, nor anger, nor the worst of enemies, nor the best of friends can overcome. We have the hope that is grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you want to spiritually flourish, make sure that you hold on. We're told to draw near to God, we're told to hold on to the confession of our sins and we're told, thirdly then, to watch out for one another, to provoke love and good works. Come down and have a look at verse 24. Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. It's such a great word, isn't it? Provoke love and good words. The NIV, I think, used to have spur. The spur is the, the spiky thing on the bottom of your boot that you dig into your horse to make it go forward. Or, or goad was another word, which is the, the spiky cattle prod that you, you poke your animals with to make them move. Right? It's a, it's a very visceral picture of what we are to do for one another. Poke each other with pointy things to make your brothers and sisters in Christ love and serve to make them live out the Christian life. Now, I want to talk briefly about this command just in general, the command itself, and then perhaps if I may apply it to our unusual circumstances. I think the command is very straightforward. Care about your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love them enough to want them to live Christianly, to draw near to God to hold fast to the hope that we have, the confession of the hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Care enough for them to act upon it, to see them flourish spiritually, to see them live for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, it puts to lie that that thought, that idea that you can be an alone Christian. Just me and God. Now, it's perfectly true, that a person on their own can become a Christian. That you can put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with nothing more than you and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you need. That is true. But to think that the Christian will flourish on their own, just having their own private communion, is to miss the point. I like to think of it as like Christians are, are, are a big bunch of grapes. Right, and you see grapes on the table and they're all kind of spread out when you've got a a, a one bunch and they're just kind of spread out. But then as you pick them up, they get drawn together. On our own, we're everywhere. But then as God draws us to himself, the grapes get pulled together. God's people are pulled together. This is one of, if not one of the greatest mechanisms that God uses to see us grow, to see us flourish, to encourage us, to motivate us, to move us, to rebuke us, to train us, to correct each other, the different parts of the body. You see, if if you aren't receiving courage from others, if you in turn aren't giving courage to others, it's really hard to do the first two things. So many things get in the way of us drawing near to God that if we just had someone else alongside us, would be so much easier. The time, the energy, the motivation, the desire, the discipline, the rebuke when needed. Holding fast to the hope that we have in Jesus is so much easier when we have a Christian brother or sister walking along beside us. Again, to remind us of the hope, to rebuke us if need be. This command, I think, ought to rebuke all of us at least a little bit. The thought of gathering with other Christians is so often an optional extra that depends on how I'm feeling. I'm busy, I'm tired, I had a long day, it's not convenient, I have a deadline. I. But how are we going to encourage others if we're not with them? How are they going to encourage us? It's not about me, it's about one another. Now, of course, there are times when we can't. Right? There are times of disability and illness and injury and and circumstance where well, we can't. Okay, it's all right. But I fear that we just put church and and gathering with God's people as the broader sense than just the, church, the Sunday meeting. Right? Gathering with God's people—it just kind of sits as one more little box. Right? What am I going to do tonight? Yeah, there's Netflix. I've got to finish my building project, I could sleep, I could meet with God's people. Which one of those am I going to choose? There's just one more option. Do not give up meeting, gathering together, as some are in the habit of doing. What about during COVID though? Because right now, gathering with other Christians is kind of hard. I've lost track of which one it was. Uh, all of Gladys's press conferences have kind of blurred into one another now. But it was a moment not too long ago where Gladys described the situation right now as a war. We are at war with this virus, she said, which I think is a little bit strong, perhaps, and not necessarily the best of language when there are actual defence personnel walking the streets. But anyway, let's b- beside the point, right? We're at war with this virus, and I think that there's something true about that. But not about the virus. It's about our spiritual well-being. Right now, you and I are at war. This particular season we're in is a season of unusual danger for our faith, for your faith and for mine. Here is something that the Bible tells us is necessary. You and I need each other. We need Christians around us. This is part of how God keeps us close to himself. And right now, that is incredibly difficult for us. Now, let me be very clear about what I'm saying and not saying. The necessity for us to gather together as Christians has not changed at all. We still need brothers and sisters in Christ who will goad us, who will Poke and prod us into love and good works, and whom we in turn can do that for. Now, I'm not saying, right, do you watch online church every week? I don't think online church achieves this. It does in part, because here is one Christian seeking to spur you on to love and good deeds, so we are doing this in part. But, but that's not really, if you hear me saying that, that's not the application. Now, I really hope you are, because I trust that it's a blessing to you and it's beneficial to you, right? But that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm also not even saying, that this is part of it, but I'm not even saying you must be in a small group and if you don't, you're not a true Christian or something incred- insane like that. I'm not saying that either. Our growth groups are incredible, right? They are places where this can happen and it is happening, but we need more than that even. Who is in your life that is the person that spurs you to live for Jesus. That provokes you to live for Jesus. Do you have, in some fashion, Christians around you who are doing that for you? Now look, I, I mean, I, I have to plug them, right? Our growth groups really are fantastic places for this. My, I'm, I'm part of a group that's just incredible. I, I love my people. Um, god's been very kind to us right and, and they're doing letterbox drops and, and providing food to each other and like, like it's just legally and safely and as we're able to and all the rest of those sorts of things but it's also a group of people who we, we meet and we read the bible and we pray and there's there's often interaction about i'm trying to reach out with the gospel to so and so can you pray for me or this difficulty is happening. can you pray for me Our growth groups are brilliant. If you're not in one and you want to join one, get in touch with me. I'm sure we can get you into one. Okay, It's not like you missed the boat at the start of the year and so it's done. We can still do that. But here's the question. Do you have someone in your life who is spurring you on to live Christianly? And are there people in your life that you're doing that for as well? That you are seeking to goad? I'll give you one little idea you could be doing, one little way of encouragement to others in the midst of lockdown, and that is start writing letters. I don't mean emails or SMS, I mean actual physical handwritten letters. Uh, You could take photos around your house if you've got a printer, take photos, print them out, make your own postcards to send to people. There's a little moment of connection. Share a Bible verse in it, a reflection you've had. I reckon it'll be just a little special thing to do. If we start sending, you do your daily shopping, you just drop them off in the post box. Keep going. Okay. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast to our hope. Let us spur one another on not giving up meeting as some are in the habit of doing. Which leads us forth to our fourth do, and that is do endure. Do see this season through, holding on to the Lord Jesus Christ. Come down to verse 32. Remember the early days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Down at verse 35. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. You need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. We are at war right now. You see for these guys in Hebrews it started hard and it got easier. It started with persecution and suffering. It started with being made prisoners, having their property confiscated. It started with real persecution and I'll take it in some ways now it's perhaps a bit easier and now that it's easier they're tempted to throw it away. For us maybe it was the other way around. We've had it easy for a very long time. You can be a Christian and go through the motions and Well, you can paint a good enough picture on and people think you are what you are, whereas now all of a sudden it really is between you and God. It really is a time of testing for us, a time of distraction, apathy, of disconnection. And it's in this time that spiritual flourishing requires us to endure, to endure holding on to God's promises, to endure trusting Him, not drawing back, we read, but like those who have faith and are saved. Well, the confidence we have in Jesus leads us to draw near to God, to hold fast the confession of our hope, to spur one another on not giving up gathering, to endure. But you know what? This all really matters because we are talking about questions of life and death. You see, the fifth step for spiritual flourishing, is one thing that we must never do. Have a look at verse 26. For if we deliberately go on sinning, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. We must never, never defy God. Now, these are some tricky verses that have been used and abused to say all number of things over the years. And that can for some of us prompt, I think, unneeded fear. Did did I do it? Have I deliberately sinned? Have I, similar to Mark 13, right, the unforgivable sin, have, have I done that? Have I fallen in such a way that there is now no more, that's it, I'm done? I want to make a few points to clarify I've got three of them, we'll go through them quickly. Point number one is this, and this is the main point. You cannot be a Christian and reject Christianity. Maybe it sounds obvious, but that's what the point of this verse is. You cannot be a Christian and reject Christianity. You can't be a child of the covenant and reject the covenant. You can't be under the lordship of Christ and reject Christ. You see, this verse isn't talking about just our particular sin. If you commit this specific sin, right, then you're done. No, it's talking about a a sin that is done in rebellion, in rejection, in defiance, such that you are no longer living under God. Okay, we've got to be very clear that that's what it's about. It's not saying, okay, here's my second point, it's not saying that conscious sin is unforgivable. Which is a double negative. It's Not saying okay. So the positive, conscious sin is forgivable. Okay, it's not deliberate and conscious are not the same things. It's not the same. It doesn't it's not saying if I choose I'm going to tell a lie, and then I go and tell someone a lie. Well, that's it. Can't be forgiven. Never going to go to heaven. Hell awaits. Deliberate in this case is more that sense of defiant. If we defiantly sin. If we set ourselves up in such a way, and here's my third point, that we are in an ongoing rebellious rejection of God, well, then of course we fall under the judgment of God. For that's what it means to be a pagan. That's what it means to be somebody who rejects God, who rejects Jesus, to be in rebellion of God. You can't be a Christian and reject Christianity. Let me give you an example, marriage. I mean, picture for a moment a relationship where a man says to a woman, I want to be married to you. Let's be married to one another. But I never want to talk to you. I never want to listen to you. I never want to live with you or sleep with you. I never want to buy you anything or have you use any of my resources. I never want to hear what it is that you want to say to my life. I certainly don't want to do what you want to tell me to do. Basically, I want to be married, but but to not be married at the same time, to not join into this relationship of marriage at all. That's what this verse is talking about. To say to God, sure, I want to be a Christian without doing the Christian bit. Let me put it to you this way. If you're ever worried that you've done this, good. If you're ever worried that you've committed the unforgivable sin or that you've, you've somehow deliberately gone on sin, if, if, if you're, you're anxious about it, Good because that worry, that anxiety is a demonstration that you are concerned to be obedient to the Spirit of God. Something that you wouldn't be if you are defiant. You want to spiritually flourish. Don't defy God. And I'll tell you what, there's outright defiance, okay, where you shake your fist at heaven and you tell God to get lost. But I think that the Greater danger for many of us is apathetic defiance. It's not that we've told him to go away. It's just that we've forgotten about him. We've ignored him. We've decided that we can do without him. He's irrelevant, really, to our life. No, the writer rightly tells us not to fear the things of the world, but to fear God. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, he says. We don't shrink back, we engage the fight. We aren't those who cower and recoil because it's hard. But we strive, knowing that the victory will come. Yet a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous one will live by faith. We are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved as your spiritual health. What is it that you need to propel you forward, the confidence grounded in Jesus, that will see you draw near to God, that will see you hold fast to the confidence we have in Christ, that will see you spur others on and receive their goads, that will see you endure through this season of trial that we're facing, that will keep you from defying God. Now, I want to finish with one simple go and do. One place to start that is specific to our circumstances. I want you, when you finish listening to this, you might be watching online church, you might be listening on the podcast, you might be doing it on Sunday with others, or sometimes during the week on your whenever it is that it happens. When this finishes, I want you to reach out to someone. Whatever means you're comfortable with, whether it's write a letter, make a phone call, send an SMS, film a TikTok, whatever it is that you do. Reach out and tell them how you're going first you know I, I just watched church if you're a Barneys, I just watched church this week and I'm doing what David told me to do. Maybe you're not part of our church and you just I, I heard a preacher tell me to do this, so I'm doing it. I want to share with you how my spiritual health is i'm right now i'm I'm at a four honestly right now I'm at a seven'm I'm, I'm doing okay right now I'm reach out and share that and then ask that person will you Please help me. Will you please provoke me to live for Jesus? How can I do that for you? Will you do that? Will you reach out to one person when you finish hearing this? That it might be the first step, the beginning for us to have that web of love for one another that sees us spiritually flourish even when we're alone and isolated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the confidence we have in Jesus. The way is open for us to come to you because you've come to us and done it all. Please draw us near to yourself. Teach us to hold fast to the hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give us creativity to know how to be in each other's lives and goading one another, provoking love and good deeds, that we might endure strengthening one another to hold firmly to you. Father, please keep each one of us from ever defying you. Father, we want to live as your people in this time. We want you to produce spiritual health in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.